Well, good morning, River Ridge Church. Welcome into this place. I wanna be another person to say good morning to you. So glad you're in here in this building with us. It is fun to worship alongside of you today. And if you're joining us online, we're so glad wherever you are tuning in from that you could be a part of this service with us. Um, I heard that it is spring break in Putnam County, so that might mean you have a little bit extra elbow room, so you can be grateful for that this morning, or um, you could be angry that the people are at somewhere better that you want to be than you are at. So it's up to you. It's an attitude decision right now that you get to have. So um, I hope you're excited about being here for sure this morning. Uh, my name is Blair. If you're a guest and we haven't met yet, um, I am Blair. I'm one of the pastors here and just want to be glad that you are joining with us this morning as well um, today. To catch you up a little bit as a guest, we are in the middle of a series that we have titled Seven Questions. And these are seven questions that are kind of big questions that we see in the Bible. They're not big questions necessarily that we ask of the faith or we ask of Christianity, but they're rather seven questions that Jesus himself asked to people that were around him. Already we've looked at three questions. The first question we looked at was, why are you so afraid? Then we looked at, who do you say I am? And then last week, do you believe I can do this? And the truth is, is that each of these questions is a different way of asking a very similar question. Do you know me? And do you really know who I am? Because your fear can go away when you know who I am. Your faith will increase as a result when you truly recognize who I am. When you answer this question, who do you say I am? And if the answer is the Messiah, then the other questions become a little bit easier to answer right after that. And when we settle that question, then all the other questions get settled as a result of it. This week, however, though, we kind of flip the situation just a little bit and we get a shift in what happens because a man that we're gonna look at today knew nothing about Jesus whatsoever. He didn't even know his name. So we have a different kind of question that Jesus brings to the table for us. So if you brought your Bibles, go ahead and grab those now. You can start opening them up to the book of John and we're gonna be in, the cha in chapter five in there. Uh, if you're a guest and you didn't have a, a Bible handy with you, that's okay. You can check out the screens. We're gonna have them up there so you can follow along with us as we go this morning. Let's get into it. Here's the first verse. It says in verse one, after this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool. In Aramaic, it's called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. Okay, so in this, John is trying to help us have some reference here of where we are. He's pointing to a specific place at a specific time, trying to get his readers to understand what he's talking about and where he is exactly. And he's just ready to tell us the story, but he wants to make sure that we know exactly where we are in the right place in mind. But since we are 2,000 years later from the original writing of this, we don't really know this place, but the people who John would have originally been talking to would have understood. And it's almost like he's trying to help us understand. He said, no, no, not that pool. I'm not talking about that pool. I'm talking about the other pool. You know, the pool that's beside of the sheep gate. You know, they, they call it Bethesda. Bethesda, you know, the, the one that's Bethesda, which doesn't mean anything to us, but in Aramaic, 
it actually means house of mercy. That one, you know, the one that has the five colonnades, which again would be unique because this wasn't just a simple pool. It wasn't a pool with four walls around it. This was specific. It had five walls. There was a wall that went right down the center of it that kind of divided the pool in half there. And they weren't exactly just normal wall structures that are there. A colonnade is a little bit different. It's like a walkway that had columns on both sides of it. And it specifically says that this one has roofed colonnades. So there's a roof. So you can imagine this big old area that you could walk through with columns going up and down and a roof. And there are five of these that go around this pool. They actually dug up a little bit of this colonnades that were there and they found several of the columns that you can find today. And you can go over, it's right near modern day St. Anne's Basilica. And right there, you can see some of the columns that are there. Okay, so now you know kind of what we're looking at here. But now what is significant about this pool is that it had, was believed to have healing powers in it. Periodically, this water would all of a sudden start to move a little bit and it was believed that that was the result of an angel of the Lord coming down and stirring up the waters a little bit. And they believed that the very first person who got into these waters after they were stirred would be cured of any disease or disability they had. Okay, that's helpful. Now, next verse. In these, in these colonnades, in these walkways lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed, one man was there who had been there, had been an invalid for 38 years. So if this is where the healing happens, if these are the healing pools, if this is where healing's going to happen, that's where you'll find all the people that need healing. It says there were multitudes of invalids laying down through these colonnades. You can imagine them sitting up against the columns that were there. Everybody picking out their specific column they're gonna hang out in. And as you walk through, you can see a multitude of people, people who were blind and lame and paralyzed. Multiple, multitude of people just hoping they can be cured by the water. And what's interesting here is that John identifies one man who had been disabled for 38 years. I am 41 currently, so that would be most of my life. And honestly, all of my life I can remember because I don't remember anything before I was three. So everything I could remember. And so 38 years in this point in time as well, in antiquity, would have been longer than most people lived anyway. So this guy probably hasn't known anything else but, the, but being an invalid. And if he did, his memory has most likely faded from any of that. It's very specific too, which I think is interesting and helpful when you start reading scripture, when you see these very specific times. It wasn't just that he had been there a long time, but it was a specific number. It was 38 years that he had been there. I don't know, but I wonder if John or if this guy was singled out because he had been there the longest. He had been in this shape the longest. And John points out the number of years because he wants us to know how bad this situation is. How long this man has been dealing with this in his life. 38 years is a huge deal. If something has been going on for 38 years, you probably have just accepted it as fate in your life. Before we go past this, 
I want you to see a theme that you can point out in scripture. If you start looking for this, you'll see a theme pop through scripture all the way through from the beginning of, of, of Genesis all the way through Revelation. If you start looking for this, you'll start seeing it all the time. And we see it in this story. God does something for one that he wants for the many. God chooses one person sometimes or one people group or one place as an example for the rest of the world. Mark that down. At some point, you're gonna see that in lots of different times, so mark that down. All right, let's look at the next verse. When Jesus saw him lying there, Okay, hold on a second. When Jesus, all right, if you mark in your Bible, if you circle, if you highlight, if you underline, whatever you do, I want you to real quick mark the words, when Jesus. Because whenever you see a phrase like, when Jesus, then Jesus, and God did, but God, when Jesus enters in on something, something is getting ready to happen. There is a before Jesus, there is an after Jesus, and those two things are never, ever the same. There was a ferocious storm, then Jesus, there was no storm. Last week, we had two blind men, then Jesus, then we had two guys who could see. The whole of history can be viewed this way if, we, if you are a Christian or a follower of Jesus. The world was away, then Jesus came as a baby in Bethlehem, and the world was changed, and it was never the same after that. This man right here, this paralyzed man, this invalid man, is getting ready to see what happens when Jesus enters his world. So when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you wanna be healed? Jesus saw the man sitting there and it says that he knew his story. Most commentaries I read say this is about Jesus' divinity coming out. He knew how long he had been there. He knew 38 years. He knew the man well, he knew his story. But this man didn't actually know Jesus at all. In fact, if you read the story a little bit further than we're gonna go, we find out that he doesn't even know Jesus' name. This isn't Jesus just being familiar with one of the townspeople and seeing him grow up year after year after year and then realizing, oh, he's been in this situation for a long time. Jesus saw him and he knew him. But for the man that's there, this stranger just comes up to him and asks this question, do you wanna be healed? It's a pretty weird question, right? Uh, the man is lying in the healing place. He is in the place where you go when you have a disability. He's been living with this disability for 38 years, a very long time that he's been burdened with this. And that seems like a pretty obvious answer. It's like asking a poor man if he wants $1,000. It's like asking a hungry man if he wants some food. The answer is yes, that's a pretty obvious. But here's the deal, and if you're taking notes, here's your very first one that's on your outline. The longer a problem persists, the more discouraged I become. If you've been living with an addiction for 10 years, you've probably lost all hope that things can change. If depression or anxiety have been holding you down for a number of years, you just start assuming there's nothing that can change. If you've been in a bad or a dead marriage, just continuing to live together because of the kids, honestly, it's easy to see how discouragement, disappointment, and acceptance just sets in. 
So Jesus is asking, have you just accepted your life as is, or do you want to be healed? Let's see what the sick man says. The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one. I have no one. I'm all alone. I have no one to put me into the pool. When the water gets stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. Wait, that isn't an answer to the question that Jesus just asked him. Communication is getting messed up here somehow. I don't know what it is, but that isn't the question that Jesus just asked him. He asked him a yes or no question. Do you wanna be healed? That's a yes or no answer, yes or no. The man is answering a different question, and I don't know exactly what question he's answering here, but it looks more like he thought Jesus asked him, why don't you get in the pool? Well, I don't have anyone who can put me in the pool. I can't get into the pool by myself. Every time I get ready to try to get in the pool, someone skips me in line, they jump ahead of me. or, Or maybe the question is, why aren't you healed already? Again, I don't have anyone. No one will put me in the pool. I'm always late, I'm always behind. I can't get there. As soon as I get ready to step in, somebody jumps in front of me and gets in front of me. See, the man had his reasons for those questions already. See, because the longer a problem persists, the more excuses I make. This guy got to the place that we often get to ourselves. No one will help me out. I can't do anything about this. Ah, my marriage, man. It is never, ever going to get any better. You see, I've been to the doctors and I've tried and I can't even imagine. There's no way in the world I can get a good job. There, it, it, it just can't happen for me. I don't have a college degree. I went to counseling once. I tried it, it didn't do any good. I even tried uh, going to church. I went three straight weeks without missing and nothing happened. I've tried everything and nothing is getting any better. It's not getting any better. And we get just like this guy pretty quickly. We jump to the defense really fast. We misunderstand the question that's being asked and we take a question and we take the question itself as an accusation rather than what it is an offer. Jesus knew all the reasons why the man was there. He knew all about his situation. So he was making an offer. Do you wanna be healed? In truth, we often go from excuses really quickly to accepting our issues. And because of that, the longer a problem persists, the more I learn to compensate for it. Some of us, are actually very high-functioning addicts. We're very high-functioning alcoholics, right? Sure, it puts pressure on your marriage, it challenges your relationship with your kids, but professionally, you're very high-functioning. You figured out how to manage around it, you figured out how to do your job and be a professional, and you're very high-functioning even though you have a significant addiction in your life. You've just learned to exist in a very dead marriage. You don't like it, but you've accepted it. You've tried everything you know to do, and yet you have no common vision. There's no intimacy. 
You, there's no spiritual movement together. You're not even trying to invest and impact and impart anything significant into, our, into your kids anymore. It's more of a business relationship or a partnership rather than a marriage. We can learn to compensate for a lot of things and we all do it in lots of different ways, whether it's overspending, overeating, workaholic, anger issues, bitterness, joylessness. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and that you may have it to the full. This isn't Jesus encouraging us to learn to compensate for our issues in our lives. Things that are in our life that prevent us from experiencing that abundant full life that Jesus wants to offer, a life lived in the spirit that produces things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. If these things aren't produced in our lives, if they weren't with our spouse, if they aren't with our kids, if they aren't in our relationships, then we're missing the offer and attempting to answer a question that wasn't being asked. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. Jesus' directions here are kind of crazy. They're a little bit weird. Uh, the man might have expected something like Jesus to say, all right, I'll help you get into the waters. Come here, I, I see you don't have anyone. I'll help you into the waters. He might have expected him to say, oh, you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna create a system. We're gonna create a system so that it was fair. And moving forward, it'll be fair for everyone. Everybody get in line, everybody who has a sickness, everybody who's lame, blind, paralyzed, every one of you get in line, or, or, or let's take a number. Everybody grab a number. Everybody get a number right there, get your number, and when your number's called, it'll be your turn to get into the pool. No cutsies or backfires, none of that nonsense. Everybody will get a turn eventually and we'll get into this pool. You know, he didn't even correct his theology. Jesus didn't say to the man, you know what, uh, that whole water thing isn't really the angel coming down, right? You know that? Instead, Jesus tells him to do the one thing he can't do. He says, get up, pick up your bed, and start walking. And if anyone else goes up to a paralyzed person and says to them this, it would be cruel. It would be like they were mocking him. But when Jesus then Jesus, but Jesus, but God, and at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and he walked. Jesus spoke, and at once the man was cured. There was a storm, then Jesus, there was no storm. There were two blind men, then Jesus, now we have two people who can see. There was a, a paralyzed man, then Jesus. Now we have a man who can walk and carry furniture even. God always does for the one as an example for the many. Jesus did a literal, a literal physical healing on this man, but it was meant to be an example for everyone, for all of us. Jesus can, he has, and he will heal people from their physical, their emotional, and their mental disabilities. And if you were here last week, you saw this. 
Last Sunday, we had Baptism Sunday. We love Baptism Sunday around here. And, if we, and we got to see two different stories of people who, who said that Jesus entered their life and things changed. And when Jesus entered Austin and Charity's lives, they declared the truth for all of us to see through their baptisms. They shared their story how life was one way, then Jesus, and now life's a different way. God rescues and he heals people from depression, from addiction, and loads of other things. And we will not be afraid to give God the glory for those things. And so we celebrate around this place like crazy when Jesus enters into those parts of people's lives. And they are amazing. And every one of those stories of God's healing. But Jesus didn't come as a manual to only fix lives temporarily. The disabled man was able to walk again, but whether he was limping or walking to his last day, he was gonna die eventually. Chad reminded me actually of the story of Lazarus this week, and Jesus actually brought Lazarus back from the dead. But he only did it temporarily, and Lazarus was gonna die again later. So Jesus' ultimate goal wasn't to bring better physical bodies in this kingdom. He brought a new kingdom with a permanent, eternal change. And this man is an example of that for us. There's a couple of things that I think we can learn from this man's story. And the first one is this, is that I have a tendency to make excuses first, sometimes, unnecessarily. Jesus asked the paralyzed man if he wanted to be healed. And the man almost got defensive. Like the question was, why haven't you been healed yet? He didn't hear the offer, he heard an accusation. So in defense, he quickly started listing off the reasons. I don't have anyone, I don't have enough time. Everybody keeps jumping in front of me. But Jesus wasn't there to check on whether the guy was doing what was right. He was there to make him right. I think some of us fall into this camp. We have this misunderstanding of who Jesus is and what he came to do. He didn't come to make sure that we were following the system to get healing. He came to offer the healing himself. Mark 2, 17 says it this way. When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I've come to call not those who think that they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. Listen, I, I, I don't know if I would go as far to say that Jesus doesn't wanna hear or doesn't care about our excuses, but I think it just doesn't really matter. He doesn't need our defense on how we are trying to fix our brokenness. He's just asking, do you wanna get well? That is what I came to do. For this guy, he did see a physical healing, but Jesus is most concerned with our eternal healing. And for a lot of us, we do this in our spiritual lives. We make excuses. I try to read my Bible, but you know, I just don't understand that thing. I, I want to be generous, but you know what I make. I, you, you see what comes home. 
I try to be nice to everyone, but that one guy, dude, he is unbearable. There is nothing I can do about that. Even though I try really, really hard, I try so hard, I can't seem to do any better at this whole Christianity thing. And I, 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 it's, it's just too tough. But Jesus, and but Jesus comes over top all of that and says, I didn't ask you why you aren't righteous yet. I can see you. I know you. I know your story. I know what kind of position you're in. I know what kind of shape you're in. I wasn't accusing you of not trying to be righteous. I wasn't asking you what you've done so far. I'm asking you if you wanna be healed. That's an offer. I know you can't do this, but I can. If you're still fighting to earn any, if you're still fighting to earn your righteousness, you're not gonna happen. You're not gonna succeed. You're not gonna win in doing good enough to earn your own righteousness. If you've given up and just said, well, there isn't anything I can do about it. I guess this is just who I will always have to be. This is the way it's always going to be. You're right that there's nothing that you can do about it, but you're wrong that you have to remain there because Jesus is giving it an amazing offer. He will do the healing and he will give you his righteousness and he will make you well. The second tendency that I think we have is I have a tendency to hold on to my mat completely unnecessarily. In the Bible, or in my Bible that I was looking at earlier, there's a semicolon in the middle of verse nine. It's in between these two different phrases. At once the man was cured and he picked up his mat and walked. And that semicolon most likely represents some amount of time. Now, it could have been a second in the case of this man. It could have been a half a second in the case of this man. But in that little bit of time, there was a point that this man was healed, but he was still behaving like he wasn't. He was still laying on the mat. He was cured, but he wasn't experiencing being cured. He wasn't experiencing the ability to walk and to run and to live. And I think that's where a lot of us sit. We've accepted Jesus' healing, but we aren't experiencing the abundant life at all. We're still laying down on our mats, behaving like we did before, living our lives like we're crippled. The man might've jumped up after one second, but some of us have been laying on our mats for six months, three years, 38 years. We don't recognize what our identity is and we don't realize what Jesus did when he rescued us. Second Corinthians says it this way. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is some of the stuff that we talk about in Freedom in Christ on Tuesday nights. They, they, these are true if you are, have accepted Jesus in your life. Listen to some of these. I am accepted. I am God's child. I have been fully justified. I am secure. I am free from all condemnation. I cannot be separated from God's love. I am significant. I am the salt of the earth. I am the light of the world. I am a temple of God himself. I am, I am a fellow worker with God. 
I am an ambassador, Jesus' representative here in this world. I am God's workmanship created for good works. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, this isn't a list uh, that, that, that just sounds good. This and a whole lot more is what God says about healed people. These are the things that are true about you, whether you are experiencing them or not. God did these things in you through the living word, Jesus Christ himself. And if these things aren't ways that you see yourself, then you need to know them because you are living on the mat for no reason at all. Your mat isn't a safety blanket. It's a chain that's holding you down from experiencing the life that Jesus came to give you one that has purpose and meaning. He said, go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. There is nothing better in life, there is nothing better in life than to lead someone through the waters of baptism and see their healing come out of it. When they recognize who Christ is, when you walk them alongside of them and help a new believer see who they are and what their identity is in Jesus, there is nothing better than that. When you step out of the bondage of this old self and you live in the newness of life, it's incredible, but we can't do it from the mat. We all have different mats. And the first thing we need to do is to look at our lives and identify what are the things in my life that are keeping me from experiencing this life that Jesus offers. Addictions, whether it's alcohol, drugs, work, shopping, they're all mats. Yeah, but when I get online and I put something in that card, it makes me feel so good. I get such a great feeling. I should be able to buy stuff. I should be able to buy the stuff I wanna buy. I'm not buying as much as other people. You should see her card. But when the bills are coming in, it doesn't feel like a mat, it feels like a chain. It doesn't really produce in me joy. And for sure, I don't have peace. Yeah, but we've been in a relationship a really long time. They're kind of safe, I know them. They aren't always like that. They just have bad days. There are more good days than there are bad days. The bruises will heal. My feelings, eh, they can handle a few names he calls me. But this isn't a safety mat, it's a chain. And you aren't increasing in love or joy or goodness as a result of this relationship. Or if you're in my world, yeah, but it's just one more tournament. Just one more. I don't want my kids to miss out on any of the things that their friends get to do. They're only kids for a while, you know, and, and, and we won't always be having these busy schedules that we do now. They won't last forever. But it's not producing in us when we do it, when we add that one more. It's not producing patience, and it's not producing gentleness, and it's not producing peace in us. I feel like more like I'm quick-tempered, I'm angry, and I'm exhausted because it isn't a good mat, it's a chain. Our mats aren't necessarily the same mats, but all of our mats are preventing us from fully living the way Jesus offered. And Jesus is saying, pick up your mat, pick them up, walk in the life I gave you. It's full, it's abundant, and it's awesome. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you that you came as the healer. 
I thank you that you came with an offer and an offer and it wasn't an accusation, it wasn't a get better and then I'll give you. It was, I'll be the healer, I'll take it away, I will give you my righteousness and because of that, God, we worship you. We, we, we praise you for who you are. We bow at our knee, we bow to our knees as a result of knowing this truth. God, some of us have that shame that we, we drag around with us. Some of us have that life in those mats that we keep holding onto, almost like they're a safety thing to us. And God, I just wanna pray that we would just pick up our mat, that we would recognize the offer that you are giving and that there is a life that is way more abundant and full, one that you promised each of your children. God, I pray that you would help us recognize what those mats are, that you would help us to identify them and that you would bring people around us that can help us lift those mats up and walk in the newness of life that you gave us. Thank you for this promise. We love you, God. Amen. Hey, that will conclude our services this morning. Thank you guys for joining us. Don't forget about tail and trail and we will catch you guys next week. Have a great Sunday.